Okay. We're beginning today's class, acknowledging we have the presence of a beautiful family here online, and uh, a woman that is dedicated to, lear- to the learning of Torah, Ahuva, Gamliel, and family is dedicating today's class, Le'ilu Nishmas, Aharon, Ben David, and Chaviva, Ahuva, Gamliel, may his neshama have an aliyah, Amen. May the family only know of good things, of happy things, of revealed goodness, Amen. So my friends, we are in middle of chapter 4, and I can say the following, that Ashreinu Matoiv Chalkeinu, that we, Chabad Hasidim, are privileged to have the words without which understanding properly, rationally, the paradox that is being asked of us is something that we have the words. We were gifted with the words. What is the paradox? The paradox is, is that we spent many weeks learning about bitachen, which is all predicated on the person taking in the emes, that God is running my life. And therefore, being that God, the real God, the only God, is good, doesn't necessarily mean that everything that God is doing for me is going to be perceived or understood as good. Some things will be very painful, but it's the M is only good. Once a person accepts that, and they learn, as we learned in the previous chapters, to really rely to lean on, to be boiteyach bashem, that person will really experience a inner calm that is impossible otherwise. And as the Rabbeinu Bachaye innovates, that bitachin is a feeling, simple, emuna is a belief, and bitachin is the feeling of calm that happens when we take in that which we believe in, that God is really the master of my life. And when you go into greater depth of God being the master, meaning that everything that happens, every little thing that happens, what we call Hashgacha Pratis, is Hashgacha Pratis, is by divine, individualized, specific providence, that's a fact, and it's coming from God, thank God, so I'm a chayim, so life is good, so be boiteach, be calm, relax. What's the counter to that? The opposite of that is that many people apply this truth wrongfully and therefore sinfully. Wow. Meaning that if a person is going to use this truth as a rationalization of not making the efforts that are necessary for us to make in the pursuit of our life, of our livelihood, of our health, etc., etc., we're going to recap quickly the seven categories, then that person is misplacing one's bitachim. And that is the fourth chapter really um, verbalizing clearly in which, when do I have bitachin and when will the application of bitachin be wrong? Why should I go to work if anyways it's all by God and God predetermined? So what's the point of making any effort? And the, just a quickly recapping for those of us who are using the beautiful Kahas white Shara bitachins, I know this could be found online. We are going to page 112. We learned this last week. I just want to recap the seven categories of activities that really encompass our entire life. Number one was inyane guf ha'adam bovad. Matters. We're speaking about external pursuits that pertain solely to that person. Number two are matters that pertain to the person's wealth and means of livelihood. You put the words wealth and means of livelihood here in LA, making a living means becoming wealthy. If you're not wealthy here, you're not going to eat bread. So it means, you know, we're going to see in a moment that excess is not good, but abundance is godly. It's like when you put a garment on, right? So we we dressed modestly. So, you know, it doesn't have to be that tight fitting. But if you're going to make, the man is going to make his pants too long, excess is not good. Many things in life, right? More is really, I'm going to get, I'm going to trip on my pants. It should be made for what I need. Bahar Chava. Okay, and that is number two. Number three is, We're going out from inner out. It matters that will pertain to ones, beginning with the ones who are the closest, which is one's wife, one's children, 
one's family members, right? Beginning with parents and siblings, etc., friends, and the hepech, the enemies. Number four, obligations of the heart. We're speaking about the inner part of the mitzvahs. Right? That I will benefit. You know, there are certain parts of my body that are needed to do mitzvahs, as we'll get to later. Number five, the other activities that pertain to my body, not in the context of will I do a mitzvah or not do a mitzvah, but there is a general benefit or harm that will come from them being healthier or weaker or properly used or improperly used. Number six, gmul ha'olam, activities that are regarding the reward, the reward in the world to come. We're going to call this our spiritual pursuits, which much of it is dependent on how we choose to live our lives in this world. And the seventh is regarding the reward of the world to come um, that is independent of what we do, as we already spoke out, that God, who was kind, doesn't only react to us. We believe in reward and punishment, but independent of that, it's not a contradiction. There is a lot of good that God will make and perform and do for you, even though you're not yet worthy. As a parent who will be benevolent and kind to the child, even prior to the child being worthy. And if it's not going to be abused, the parent would theoretically want to be kind to the child, even when the child is rebelling. Because that doesn't change the love that a parent has for the child, at least not on a very deep level. Okay, so these are the seven categories. We are up to the first and second category. And um, so what did we say last week? We said last week, step number one, is that even though, and we're going to speak about this a lot more right now, the choices that we make and the freedom that God gives us to make choices, which is a yusoyed in Yiddishkeit, it's foundational. There is no Judaism, literally, without the freedom that we have to choose, and that includes I can choose to do the opposite of what God would have preferred of me to choose. The power that I have is only regarding my choice. Never regarding the outcome of my choice, ever. And that's something that first, you know, there's two steps. There's understanding this, we'll give more words to this. And, and even though I can understand this, and I think I understand this properly, but then there's really taking it in. Taking it in is very difficult because things in the world really look otherwise. All right? There is a certain causality that there's a cause and effect. And, and in our, from our perception, right, if Reuven bangs Shimon's head, you know, it kind of looks like Reuven hurt Shimon. Well, Reuven chose to hurt Shimon. You know who hurt Shimon? God. Through what did God hurt Shimon? Through the choice that Reuven made. So I want to, I wanna, even before reading further inside, just to speak more about it. Many people heard these words. People who learn Hasidus learn a lot about it to acknowledge that there are other um, beautiful, holy um, segments of the Jewish people that do not accept. I'm biased, so I'm going to say don't accept yet the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev. The Baal Shem Tev said certain things that at his time, there were many people that opposed the Hasidic movement. Some of it was based on theology. Some of it is a good machloikas. By the way, we are fighting since the beginning in a good way. That's a good machloikas. That differences of opinions. Open up Mishnayis. Shammai says A, Hillel says B. And you know what? When Rebbe wrote it down, he did not ignore the opinion, even if that opinion we know is not halachically accepted. It's very important. So I want to acknowledge that what I'm saying right now is unique to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev. The Baal Shem Tev is the one um, that opines that even the consequence of human choice, which is true, I really have the freedom to choose. I could have chosen B. No one compelled me to choose A. So A is mine. The consequences of choice A is divinely ordained. Very counterintuitive. This topic is first properly recorded in the in the fourth section of Tanya, known as the Igeres Hakodesh, holy letters. In other words, after the Alter Rebbe passed away, his three sons, 
and others compiled the letters that they had at that time, and they decided to incorporate it in the Sefer of Tanya. Now we have many more letters, even better, many parts of the letters were not printed because they are personalized. There's now a Sefer, someone did research, and they found the entirety of the letter. It doesn't matter, it's so many hundreds of years later, it doesn't matter, it's, you know, it's not like private, private information, but I want you to know, Bakhlal, I'm going off on a tangent, that context is so important that when you read the whole letter and you get the context, everything changes. Bakhlal in life, context is, is as important as the thing itself. The context, right? Certain words, they mean A in this context, they mean the opposite in another context. And if you don't get the context, and you just today, you're going to record a little snippet of what someone was trying to say, they, they might be very uh, wrongfully used. Uh, but you know you have to know in what context did you make that statement because if people don't know that context, you will be misunderstood. Many times they're going to quote your words and you are actually saying the opposite. That's how it's almost comical. So I'm saying, we know the context of these letters which are very insightful, but one letter was written because scholars that were not Hasidim were really troubled with a statement that the Balshantav made. And that's all connected to our Hishtablus versus Bitachin or Hasidim making a Kaili versus Bitachin. How do you reconcile it? And uh, we gotta go slow over here. For people who heard it, it's good to hear it again. If you didn't hear it, I'm thinking these are big ideas. These are the big ideas that we have been debating about over the last few hundred years, the Hasidim and the non-Hasidim. So uh, the scenario was, is that there was a Jew that because of his means of livelihood, he was unable to daven in a synagogue. He was always traveling to work. He had a nice place to daven, but it wasn't in a public area. Very common for me, I'm, I'm a Chabad boy, I'm very comfortable to daven in an airport and in an airplane. Uh, some people are even more comfortable. Not everyone is comfortable doing that. You feel a little bit intimidated, like I'm in a public setting and I'm a man with talus and the tefillin. And today, America, as, as people, it's amazing. Uh, it's still amazing. It's amazing. There's freedom of religion. And in the vast majority, people will look at you and they'll be respectful. They're not going to harass you. Um, not so in this story. In the Baal in the Ukraine, maybe even today in the Ukraine, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of uh, external anti-Semitism. You davened in public, people would mamish harass you. I don't, I'm not talking about ridiculing you. They would harass you. So there was a chassid that wrote to the Baal Shem Tev, Rebbe, help me, I'm trying to pray. This is where I can daven. And when I'm davening, there was a person who's not Jewish that's making me crazy. He's disturbing my prayers. And the Baal Shem Tev, this is the content of what the Baal Shem Tev responded. I'm not, the words are not there. The content is, is that you should know that it, it's not the non-Jew that's disturbing you. God is doing that to you. Everything is by a divine. And why do you think God is trying to disturb you when you're trying to talk to God? Why do you think God is doing it? So the Baal Shem Tev gave him the reason. Because God wants for you to daven on a much deeper level of concentration. And you know what? <laughs> Sometimes, only when you have opposition do you have the opportunity to make more effort. Because that's the law of the land. We only make effort when you need to. That's the way God wired all of us. You know, we're not that because we're lazy, because why should I exert more effort if it's not necessary? But if it's necessary, it means when you lift up a, a bag that's five pounds, like you know already, you estimate, you're going to use X amount of energy. If, the, if, the, if it weighs 50 pounds, you're going you're gonna, to, somehow you're going to position yourself, you're going to really make the effort. Concentration, which is a great tool that God gave us that many of us did not properly develop it, at least when you have a world with so many distractions, that's one of the big challenges for our children. It's not their fault, is that how long can you concentrate for? And it's great to be able to concentrate longer and deeper. It's great, it's a gift, it's a gift. So when you are trying to daven and the surroundings are working with you, no great effort is needed, that's a fact. Adarabah, if you are lucky that you're davening amongst other people that are davening, it's easier, easy, you know, easy street. It inspires each other. Now, what happens if you daven in an environment where things are not going well? There is noise, there's distraction. Well, either you're going to give up or you're going to figure out how to go deeper within yourself and come to a place where you don't hear any noise anymore. 
And even more so if the distraction is directed at you. Right? You're davening and your child, punt when you're davening, mommy, they're tugging on you. And by the way, if the age, it's age appropriate. I mean, if the child is an infant and they need your help, help them. But if they don't need your help, the role modeling that we have can show our children, if it's not an emergency, for them to see how a parent during Shemana Esrei, and that's not because chas v'sholem, we don't care about our children. But uh, you have to explain to them later that when a person is talking to God because of God, unless it's an emergency, then you would come first and life of anyone would come first. We don't, we don't get distracted, you know, to be focused. So the Baal Shem Tev gave that whole thing that God wants you to concentrate better because you could. Most people don't have that test because they can't. Imagine. And when people found that letter, they... They say, color war broke out. Because what the Baal Shem Tev is saying is that this anti-Semite who hates the Jewish people somehow is fulfilling God's purpose by distracting the Jew. Whew. So that that brought about a lot of debate and the Al-Tarebbe wrote a letter that you can read in the Tanya. It's called Letter 25 because the letters are numbered. It's a very important theological Hasidic letter, reaffirming and explaining and showing sources in the Talmud and in the classic oral Torah that what the Baal Shem Tov is saying is emes. He didn't begin a new idea. You have to just find sources, which the, which the, which the Alter Rebbe does. Now, how does that work again? So, Nachamo, I'm making a choice. My choice is real. But being that the freedom of my choice is only in my choice, freedom to choose, God never gave me any power over the consequences of my choices, even though by the laws of nature, when I make this choice, that should be the consequence. Let me explain more how this works. That's not my arena of power. I have no jurisdiction over any consequences because it's God's world. God never reneged. He never let the reins go regarding that which will happen here. God did give up his power when it comes to my choice, to your choice. And you have to learn how to separate it. The better we understand that, the better we're going to get the whole chapter for. Now, let me say the following. We said this last week. Let's just push it a little bit further. There are three big questions regarding freedom of choice. How can you say that we have freedom to choose? Many people mix up, they convolute the three questions, but I want to separate them. Number one is God's will. Doesn't God want for things to go a certain way? Doesn't God want for me to make the right choice? So if God wants me to make the right choice, why doesn't God's will coerce and take away my freedom? That's one issue that has to be resolved. Another issue, God knows what's going to happen. God actually knows now what will happen tomorrow. So if God knows it before it happened, so you tell me what type of freedom do you really have? The third topic, they're connected, but they're not, but they are, but we're going to separate them, is that Hashgacha Pratis, Hashgacha Pratis means it's God's world. It means God has a plan for me, and what will happen to me will be that which God planned to happen to me. One second, what about freedom of choice? Like we're speaking about go work to make a living, go work to make a living. So God can have God could have decided for me to make a living, but if I, if I will choose not to work, then I won't have a living. So then... So then there isn't real Hashgacha Pratis because God made a plan, but I have the power to, uh, to trick the plan or to break the plan. I'm like the virus that can make every, could I? Is there such a thing? Like, how do you reconcile it? And the three separate topics. And I'm going to, oh, uh, the line just fell over here. Um, let me do the following. Would you like to connect to the I think that would be a very good idea. Goes the crowd over here, one second. Small commercial break. <laughs> These are big topics. So we have Wi-Fi. And that's you? Yeah. Simzi. 
You can, you can put it in over here. That'd be okay. even better. Yeah. All yours. Yes, it's private. It's not recorded. No, it's my children's names. Anyone can log on. Okay, let's try that. Okay. Oh. Oh, good. Okay, so we're back. Um, Did it connect? Let me reconnect. I'll reconnect. Leave. Recording in progress. Oh, no, I'm back. Okay. Okay. So. Was the first part The first. No, no, it was recorded by Yafan on, on the Zoom. It was weak. Okay, thank you for that. Unmute. How do I <laughs> unmute? Figure that out. Hmm. No, that didn't work. All right, I did not mute myself. That means someone muted me. Whoever. If you put your mouse over the upper right-hand corner of your picture, you'll see the little dots. I don't have a mouse. Oh. Still can't hear you. I know. <laughs> I got a problem. I mean, if you can no. figure that out, yeah, go ahead. See that? Yeah, but I don't know how to. Can't hear you, Rabbi. Yeah, there no. it is. Unmute. All right, good. Go uh, back. All right, so Bikitzer, and I know none of this is Bikitzer, guys. Everything is recorded, and I'll send Ahuva, I'll send you the recording. So, the three known discussed questions, and it's good to separate them. And I know that this is loaded information, but I'll say the words, and it's good to to think about each one for itself. God's will, people ask, if God wants for me to do the mitzvahs, then how can I even have the freedom? Doesn't God's will, why wouldn't God's will somehow force me on some level to do what he wants? And here's the answer. And let's use parents as the great metaphor, which they are, which we are. We want, even if we're not aware of it, and then we need help if we're not aware of it. We really want for our children to be independent. We really, really want that. Which means that we want that we should have children that when they are given a choice between the correct and the incorrect, that they should choose the right thing. We don't want them only to do the right thing. We don't only want for the right thing to be done. We want to have children that are independent. Many times we do things when they are younger, which in, which which uh, sets back their independence, and that has to be rectified. Hashem wants for us to be independent. No contradiction between wanting someone to be independent and informing them what the right choice would be. Many people think that educating somehow takes away their independence. God forbid, we want our kids to be independent, but that doesn't mean that we're not gonna tell them what's right and what's wrong. And I'll tell you something interesting. No matter what your style of education is, whether you put thought into it, whether it's just natural, that's the way you do things. It doesn't make a difference how imposing you are in your words. It has everything to do with what you feel. If I really feel deep down that my children have to become independent adults, that is what I want from them. No matter how much I'm gonna tell them when they're young, no, do this and don't do that. They're gonna know the inner want. The inner want of the parent is for them to be independent. So when they are going to be given choices, they will be the ones choosing, not the parent through them. God wants for us to be independent. God has so many worlds and so many angels of beings that God wants and they do. God has that. God did not make us to be another creature, creation, which so to say, just does what God wants. We are really special. We meaning the human being, and especially the Eden, that God created people, and God really wants for there to be something out there that is going to independently choose God. Imagine if all of the people around you 
are your friends by coercion. And you'll have millions of them. You will be longing for a friend. By definition, meaning someone that's not you, that could choose to unfriend you, and they will, they will choose you. That desire that God has is the foundation upon which everything else comes from. Actually, that's the reason why he created us. The bigger reason of why, why are we here? Because God wanted for there to be something out there that the being, the creation will choose God, which is what freedom of choice is. We must have freedom to choose. This is what God wants. And then God let us know what God likes and what God dislikes. So when you have any relationship, if I would want to please you, well, I have to know what pleases you, and then I'll choose or not to do it. The Torah is a lot of info, but not coercion. God is not forcing us to love him. God needs for us to choose him out of coercion. And the proof is in the pudding. We all know that we can do exactly the opposite of what God wants. Out of coercion or without coercion? Without coercion. We can, it's so relatable because anyone that's near and dear to us, that's how we would want for the relationship to be built up. If someone is doing something for you, but it's not their choice, it, it's, I'm not going to say it's meaningless. If you need that thing to be there, if you need the food on the table, the food is on the table. But in, in the context of a relationship, it's meaningless. <clears throat> we are the only beings that are other, and we get to choose to be connected. So you, you make relationship with Hashem? Only because God gave me freedom. Freedom of choice is that important. They're going to bring this all back to chapter 4. It's very important. Isn't it? So God, people say God wants me to do the mitzvahs. No. God wants me to choose him. Then God told me the things that he likes and the things that he dislikes. Now I know what to choose. If I'm choosing him, how do I choose him? By saying I choose you, God, these are very fluffy words. But what, what, what does that mean? For a year, it means I'm going to keep. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm going to eat kosher. I'm going to keep Shabbos. That's the way I choose God. But God needs for me to do it freely. I must have the option not to do it. So you make. I'm sorry. You make relationship with Hashem through davening. I have a relationship with God before doing anything by having freedom of obeying or disobeying. If I have no free freedom to do or not to do, then God is not having a relationship with anything other than him. He's just having a relationship with himself. God already had a relationship with himself. And he created the world, which means he was not satisfied with that. Okay. It's important to understand how foundational the idea, the emis of we having freedom to choose. You said that God needs. Yes. God needs. God needs. God needs. God chose to have that need, but now that he chose, he needs. We'll leave that for another time. That's called mitzvah tzoyrech gavay. That's another machloikis. But Kabbalah paskins that God needs, we'll leave that for another time. Mitzvah tzoyrech. Tzorech is a gavoya. So what is necessity? Huh? And for necessity. It's exactly. It's God's necessities, not my necessities. But let's let's leave that. I want to. People should think God wants me to do the mitzvahs. There's a much greater one. God wants for me to choose to do the mitzvahs. That overrides all the other ones. Okay. People ask. God knows the future. So how does that still allow me freedom? God knows what I will choose tomorrow. The answer, the important answer for this question is, is that God is already in tomorrow and God knows what I will choose because I already chose it. God knows what I will choose after I chose it. There's a catch. That being that God is above time, for God after and before is all the same. But listen, what is the cause and what is the effect? 
what is the cause and what's the effect? Not that God's knowledge is the cause and it's going to affect my choice. My choice is the cause. And since I chose, that's why God knows. Very much like if you already chose now to have the, the Perrier, then you know what, what I chose. Your knowledge doesn't affect my choice because you only know it because I already did it. Because you and me were bound by time. So by us, after is not the same as before. There's before, there's during, and there's after. So we only know it after, after. God knows it after, also before. But he knows before I did it, that which I did after I did it. So what does it change, him knowing? Nothing. That's why his knowledge doesn't coerce me. See, if God would know it before I did it, then wouldn't that knowledge coerce me to do it? Now, knowledge after the fact doesn't coerce the fact. No, 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 that you chose, and that's why people know. God is right now, now. God right now is yesterday. He's in the yes. And God right now is in tomorrow. And there's only one God. So the godliness that's tomorrow, after the fact, who knows things after they were chosen, that's why he knows them, happens also to be the same God that's here right now. So he knows it before, but he doesn't know it before. Our choice is that which creates his knowledge. So do you get the reward before you choose? No, very good. You do not get the choice because God doesn't even know it before. God only knows it after, even though he knows by him after and before is the same. So far, so good. Not so good. Not so good. Okay, maybe maybe just to verbalize the question better. The question is that since God knows now what I will choose tomorrow, which He does, so why does that not take away my freedom of choice? Because how can I choose anything other than that which God already knows? And if I can choose something different, then God didn't know. If I know what you chose after you chose it, does that take away your freedom? No. No. God knows after we chose. But there's something magical about God, and that is that God, for God, the future, the past, the present is all one thing. So that's why he he, he knows it. He knows it before you know it, but he he only knows it because you made the choice. My choice puts everything in motion. And that affects God's knowledge. His knowledge does not affect my cause. His knowledge is a product of my choice. Yet, he knows it before, but he knows it before because God is above time. But that type of knowledge does not force me to choose. God only knows it after I chose. Step number three, which is chapter four, which is so important. Now let's speak about divine providence and bitachem. And, cho- and choosing. Listen to these words. Everything is by divine plan. I'm going to use these words. When do you think God makes the plan? Moment by moment. What plan? God has a plan for you. Oh, okay. God has a plan for me. You're born or before you're born. So let me, get, let me give you words that will shock you. Yeah. No. Creation. God makes the plan after I made the choices. Mm. Ooh, wow. See, there's well, a different right, right, right. avenue for whatever choice. Which means like this. It's a good way of looking at things. I mean, like this. God, I'm, I'm going to make a choice, um, God forbid, to eat unhealthy food. Which is what he's saying. We're not allowed to do that. God has a plan for me. The plan for me is either I will be healthy or I won't be healthy. God takes my choice into account. And then learns how to deal with it accordingly. I am responsible to make kosher choices. That's called making a ishtabus. I have a mitzvah to put on tefillin. I have a mitzvah to go to work. I have a mitzvah to take care of my health. I'm obligated to act responsibly. What's the problem with all that? Don't you have bitachin that whatever is going to happen to you is God's plan? Yeah. God begins making his plans after you made your choice. So if someone is supposed to have a healthy life, they have the freedom to choose to eat unhealthy food. 
That's the immoral choice. They'll get punished for that choice. If God is choosing that they're going to be healthy, then even though they ate unhealthy food, they're still going to end up healthy. The guy that smoked until they were 100 years old with healthy lungs and never... Oh, just stop. I don't know. All right. So the kids said, and I know none of this is because, guys, everything is recorded and I'll send Ahuba, I'll send you the recording. So the three known discussed questions, and it's good to separate them. And I know that this is loaded information, but I'll say the words. And it's good to, to think about each one for itself. God's will, people ask, if God wants for me to do the mitzvahs, then how can I even have the freedom? Doesn't God's will, why wouldn't God's will somehow force me on some level to do what he wants? And here's the answer. And let's use parents as the great metaphor, which they are, which we are. We want, even if we're not aware of it, and then we need help if we're not aware of it, we really want for our children to be independent. We really, really want that. Which means that we want that we should have children that when they are given a choice between the correct and the incorrect, that they should choose the right thing. We don't want them only to do the right thing. We don't only want for the right thing to be done. We want to have children that are independent. Many times we do things when they are younger, which, in, which, which uh, sets back their independence and that has to be rectified. Hashem wants for us to be independent. No contradiction between wanting someone to be independent and informing them what the right choice would be. Many people think that educating somehow takes away their independence. God forbid. We want our kids to be independent, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to tell them what's right and what's wrong. And I'll tell you something interesting. No matter what your style of education is, whether you put thought into it, whether it's just natural, that's the way you do things, it doesn't make a difference how imposing you are in your words. It has everything to do with what you feel. If I really feel deep down that my children have to become independent adults, that is what I want from them. No matter how much I'm going to tell them when they're young, no, do this and don't do that. They're going to know the inner want. The inner want of the parent is for them to be independent. So when they are going to be given choices, they will be the ones choosing, not the parent through them. God wants for us to be independent. God has so many worlds and so many angels of beings that God wants and they do. God has that. God did not make us to be another creature, creation, which so to say, just does what God wants. We are really special. We meaning the human being and especially the Eden that God created people and God really wants for there to be something out there that is in going to independently choose God. Imagine if all of the people around you are your friends by coercion and you'll have millions of them. You will be longing for a friend. By definition, meaning someone that's not you, that could choose to unfriend you, and they will, they will choose you. That desire that God has is the foundation upon which everything else comes from. Actually, that's the reason why he created us. The bigger reason of why, why are we here? Because God wanted for there to be something out there that the being, the creation will choose God, which is what freedom of choice is. We must have freedom to choose. This is what God wants. And then God let us know what God likes and what God dislikes. So when you have any relationship, if I would want to please you, well, I have to know what pleases you. And then I'll choose or not to do it. 
the Torah is a lot of info, but not coercion. God is not forcing us to love him. God needs for us to choose him out of coercion. And the proof is in the pudding. We all know that we can do exactly the opposite of what God wants. Out of coercion or without coercion? Without coercion. Without coercion. We can, it's so relatable because anyone that's near and dear to us, that's how we would want for the relationship to be built up. If someone is doing something for you, but it's not their choice, it, it's, I'm not going to say it's meaningless. If you need that thing to be there, if you need the food on the table, the food is on the table. But in, in the context of a relationship, it's meaningless. <coughs> We are the only beings that are other, and we get to choose to be connected. So you, you make relationship with Hashem? Only because Based. God gave me freedom. Freedom of choice is that important. We're going to bring this all back to chapter four. It's very important, is it? So God, people say, God wants me to do the mitzvahs. No, God wants me to choose him. Then God told me the things that he likes and the things that he dis- dislikes. Now I know what to choose. If I'm choosing him, how do I choose him? By saying, I choose you, God, these are very fluffy words. But what, what, what does that mean? For a year, it means I'm going to keep God. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm going to eat kosher. I'm going to keep Shabbos. That's the way I choose God. But God needs for me to do it freely. I must have the option not to do it. So you make, I'm sorry, you make relationship with Hashem through Dalim. I have a relationship with God before doing anything. By having freedom of obeying or disobeying. If I have no free freedom to do or not to do, then God is not having a relationship with anything other than him. He's just having a relationship with himself. God already had a relationship with himself and he created the world, which means he was not satisfied with that. It's important to understand how foundational the idea, the emis of we having freedom to choose. You said God needs. Yes. God needs. God needs. God chose to have that need, but now that he chose, he needs. We'll leave that for another time. That's called mitzvah tzoyrech kavay. That's another machlekes. But Kabbalah paskins that God needs, we'll leave that for another time. Mitzvah tzoyrech. Echom nem beibrit. Tzoyrech is a gavoya. So what is necessity? Huh? From necessity. It's not exactly. Like- it's God's necessities, not my necessities. But let's let's leave that. I want to people should think God wants me to do the mitzvahs. There's a much greater one. God wants for me to choose to do the mitzvahs. That overrides all the other ones. Okay. People ask, God knows the future, so how does that still allow me freedom? God knows what I will choose tomorrow. The answer, the important answer for this question is, is that God is already in tomorrow and God knows what I will choose because I already chose it. God knows what I will choose after I chose it. There's a catch that being that God is above time for God after and before is all the same. But listen, what is the cause and what is the effect? What is the cause and what's the effect? Not that God's knowledge is the cause and it's going to affect my choice. My choice is the cause. And since I chose, that's why God knows. Very much like if you already chose now to have the, the Perrier, then you know what, what I chose. Your knowledge doesn't affect my choice because you only know it because I already did it. Because you and me were bound by time. So by us, after is not the same as before. There's before, there's during, and there's after. So we only know it after, after. God knows it after, also before. But he knows before I did it, that which I did after I did it. So what does it change, him knowing? Nothing. That's why his knowledge doesn't coerce me. See, if God would know it, the emiss, before I did it, then wouldn't that knowledge coerce me to do it? Now, knowledge after the fact doesn't coerce the fact. No, no, no. You chose, and that's why people know. God is right now, now. God right now is yesterday. He's in the yes. And God right now is in tomorrow. And there's only one God. 
So the godliness that's tomorrow, after the fact, who knows things after they were chosen, that's why he knows them, happens also to be the same God that's here right now. So he knows it before, but he doesn't know it before. Our choice is that which creates his knowledge. So do you get the reward before you choose? No. Very good. You do not get the choice because God doesn't even know it before. God only knows it after, even though he knows by him after and before is the same. So far, so good. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe just to verbalize the question better. The question is that since God knows now what I will choose tomorrow, which he does. So why does that not take away my freedom of choice? Because how can I choose anything other than that which God already knows? And if I can choose something different, then God didn't know. If I know what you chose after you chose it, does that take away your freedom? No. No. God knows after we chose. But there's something magical about God, and that is that God, for God, the future, the past, the present is all one thing. So that's why he, he, he knows it. He knows it before you know it, but he only knows it because you made the choice. You, my choice puts everything in motion. And that affects God's knowledge. His knowledge does not affect my cause. His knowledge is a product of my choice. Yet he knows it before, but he knows it before because God is above time. But that type of knowledge does not force me to choose. God only knows it after I chose. Step number three, which is chapter four, which is so important. Now let's speak about divine providence and bitachin and choosing. Listen to these words. Everything is by divine plan. I'm going to use these words. When do you think God makes the plan? Moment by moment. What plan? God has a plan for you. Oh, okay. God has a plan for me. Or you're born so let me, get, let me give you words that will shock you. Yeah. No. Creation. God makes the plan after I made the choices. Mm. Oh, wow. See, there's a right. you for whatever choices. Which means like this. Like, it's, it's, it's a good way of looking at things. I mean, like this. God, I'm, I'm going to make a choice, um, God forbid, to eat unhealthy food which is what he's saying. We're not allowed to do that. God has a plan for me. The plan for me is either I will be healthy or I won't be healthy. God takes my choice into account and then learns how to deal with it accordingly. I am responsible to make kosher choices. That's called making a shtablos. I have a mitzvah to put on tefillin. I have a mitzvah to go to work. I have a mitzvah to take care of my health. I'm obligated to act responsibly. What's the problem with all that? Don't you have bitachin that whatever is going to happen to you is God's plan? Yeah. God begins making his plans after you made your choice. So if someone is supposed to have a healthy life, they have the freedom to choose to eat unhealthy food. That's the immoral choice. They'll get punished for that choice. If God is choosing that they're going to be healthy, then even though they ate unhealthy food, they're still going to end up healthy. The guy that smoked until they were 100 years old <clears throat> with healthy lungs and never got COVID. <laughs> oh, what? Were they, is it, was it kosher for them to have this lifestyle? No. Everything is predicated. It's easy for a Hasidim to have chapter four. My choices, lechatchila, don't affect the outcome. So why? It doesn't bother me. Bitochen means that the outcome, no matter what I choose, no matter what I choose, the outcome is divine plan. My choices never have the power to begin with to affect the outcome. The freedom of choice is just there. God wants me to make the right choices. God gave me all of the Torah, which is a lot, which is basically my life. And in the, in the context of the Torah, God says, choose what I want and don't choose the opposite of what I want. I'm chayef to, to follow God's, my responsibility is to choose God. 
I can choose not to choose God. The outcome to begin with is God's choice. You know when God begins making those choices? After I make my choice. That's when a person's born. Yeah, but it, because before God, before and after is all the same. I'm linking one to the other. If when you make, mm-hmm. you know, if God decided someone is going to live today. Mm-hmm. Well, this stopped recording. I don't know when it stopped, it stopped recording. If, if a person is supposed to live today and they jump off the roof, will they die? Yes. No, they won't. Because it's Hashgacha Pratis. Were they allowed to jump off the roof? No, because God commanded us to act responsibly. Making hishtadlus, these are the words that the world uses, means act responsibly. When I acted responsibly and I got good results, who gave me those results? God. Because no matter what I choose, my power, my freedom, my koyach is only over my choice, never about the outcome. That's the reconciliation. I'm obligated to act responsibly. Take care of your health, take care of your wealth, pursue a livelihood. Don't overdo it, but do what is needed by the laws of nature that God created. But for me to have an illusion that since I work, that's why my security will never be in my work. My security will only be in God because everything that happens is And yes, I believe that if a person is destined to become wealthy, they will become wealthy whether they will work or not. And if a person, God forbid, is the opposite, the opposite. Let's speak about health. We see that. We see that much easier by health. How many people do we know? They make all the right choices and God forbid they get ill. And how many people make all the wrong choices and they live gesund to hate? Halavai and everyone. We begin with the premise that what happens to my life is only God, only God. There's no partnership. My choices is my responsibility. My choices don't affect anything other than my choice. Now, I make a choice. God knows I made a choice. God now has to begin to make a plan. So is it if someone makes the wrong choice, then Hashem Mm -hmm. makes the plan? Yeah, of course. In other words, God so has to be... If someone does a good choice and there's no plan. Me, no, 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 no. Don't worry that way. God wants you to be healthy. Right. So if someone makes a bad choice. What? And now, how will God bring that about today? So that we'll find out. If you make a choice to eat healthy, then you will be the instrument through whom God will bring about his plan. Your good choices. Mm-hmm. If someone else will make a bad choice, then God is going to have to now compensate and come up with a new plan in spite of this <laughs> bad choice. I got to keep them healthy. You just, you're just, you're, you're giving God more work, so to say. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what the Rabbeinu Machaya quotes, that the Talmud says, that if a person um, chooses to take their life, well, two things, either they'll die, or if they'll live miraculously, God is going to deduct their merits, because they're, they're giving more work to God, so to say. God wants me to be the tool through, through which I should be healthy. God wants for me to be his partner. If I choose not God, God will get his will regardless but it's going to complicate God's plan. I'm giving God not needed work from God's perspective. God only begins to make these detailed plans after I chose. So does God's plan ever change? God's plan. Can God's plan ever change? If we don't affect it by our, by what we do. Okay, so then there's a whole topic, which is not for now, that prayer has the power to change God's mind? And when you say prayer, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Is it from a siddur or is it both? His body dirt? Both. And certain mitzvahs have the power to change reality, but the cause and effect, here's the key, is not that my action caused, I appeal to God. God can either accept my prayers or not. Teshuvah, tefillah, tzedakah could be effective the way we want, or it might not be effective the way God determines that. Here again is a great example. We do something. After we do it, then God makes a plan. God knew that already from the beginning. God knew that from the beginning. But even though our choices do not affect the outcome. Our choices do not affect the outcome. But... Yet, God chooses a plan 
irregardless of what we choose to do. God has to, God, God has to update, like God has to make a revision on his plan after we make the choices. It's so counterintuitive. Yes, it is. It's so counterintuitive. I know that I accept it. It's so counterintuitive because what we're saying is, is that we're trying to come to one point. Bitochen means I'm calm, that whatever, it's all from God. The big challenge is freedom of choice. And, and ultimately, he's saying words that Hasidah says from a different angle, but it's the same, it's the same neshama, is that they don't, they don't conflict with each other. I'm obligated to make the right choices. God tells me, act responsibly. It's a mitzvah. Acting responsibly means, like we were speaking about health and wealth. He's beginning with that. I have to not over, not wear pants that are too long, not overwork, not underwork. I got to work. Go work. Make a keli. Take care of uh, your, your health. Don't go mishuga, but don't, don't abandon your health. Does that mean that my health comes from my efforts? No, no. It's a different parasha. My health and my wealth comes from God. I'm God. My security is from God. Only, only. Why am I eating healthy? Because I am commanded to choose God. So it's the whole realm of Torah and mitzvahs is in the realm of choice. Never in the realm of the outcome. Yes, it's very counterintuitive because it looks like there is a link. It looks like there is a link. God made it on purpose that way for him to remain hidden. If not, God would not be hidden. And every now and then, God appears. God appears in when, in spite of the fact that I made all the wrong choices, look how amazing my life is. Or God forbid, the opposite. A person, and many people say that, I made all of the right choices. There must be a God in the world because for someone like me to get sick, it's only because of God. Because by the laws of nature, it shouldn't have been that way. It's all by God. So the only way to change the outcome is to have bitachin. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to word it that way. I want to say like this, that bitachin is the only way that we have to live life calmly. But the, the building of the kli itself changes the reality. Building of the kli will only be me fulfilling my duty of doing what God wants of me, which is act responsibly, which means that if a person does not build a clee, they're going to win the lottery, they're going to inherit money, they're going to find a block of gold. If someone is destined to become wealthy, they will become wealthy. And if someone, God forbid, the opposite, the opposite. Because we have to separate. We have to separate. That's the teachings of the Balshantans, who holds, imagine, the guy made a choice to harass a Jew. Now, the guy will be punished for his bad choice, but it was destined that someone will disturb the Jews' davening. It was everything that happens in the world, not some things, not most things, everything, even that which is a product of human choice, is God's plan. And that's for the good. And it's for the good. Doesn't mean reveal good. And it's for the good. If a person believes that, they'll have a calm life. This is a life-changing belief system. It's very difficult to internalize it. Many people can understand it, but there are so many things that appear otherwise that, you know, even, you know, many things in Plato that the good are rewarded and, and the wicked are punished. Go look in the world. You'll see the opposite many times. So there are many things that reality, pre-Moshiach, looks the opposite of what we believe in. So that's a big uh, test of, of faith. I'm not talking about paste, uh, a test in a moon. I'm speaking about bitachin. Bitachin means calm. How am I going to get calm? Everything is from God but act responsibly. Chapter four is never say, since everything is from God, I have the right to make the wrong choices. There is a mitzvah for me. There's a mitzvah for me to eat kosher. There's a mitzvah for me to eat Shabbos. There's a mitzvah for me to act responsible. I'm going to work, not because I want to become wealthy. I'm getting my wealth from God. I want to be wealthy from God. I will become wealthy only from God. I'm going to work because God gave me a mitzvah go to work. There's choices that I make. And then there's the results that are never connected. We have to separate them. Results are solely God's domain. Choices are really my domain. Is there a difference between Hitler and Haman? No. Even though Hitler killed six million of us, Mestama plus, and Haman was not given by God uh, the ability to carry out, but in the realm of choice, they both made the same choice. They're going to annihilate all of God's people. One succeeding in part and one failing utterly has nothing to do with them. And they never had the power for it to happen. Okay. 
somebody's sick. Yep. And we go to the shul and uh, ask for Mishwarah and the Siddhartha and all. This is the choice of God, the person that's sick. And God decides yes or no. Correct. And my, my davening and my giving tzedakah will not force any outcome. But it's going to be my way of appealing to God. Mm-hmm. Forgot to perform a miracle. And that, that will be um, in conjunction with, never in the place of, me going to a doctor and fulfilling my obligation. God gave me what he wants of me. God wants for me to act responsibly. So that means God tells me that if I'm sick, I'm hired to go to a doctor. Not that the healing comes from the doctor. I will be healed whether I will go or not. It has nothing to do. But I'm obligated to go to a doctor. When you begin thinking that way, there will be some changes. The changes will be, you know, well, I look for the greatest, greatest expert. I'm not going to go to an amateur. No. There's going to be a certain amount of extra effort that's really not necessary that I won't make any. I'm going to make a Kaylee because I'm doing what that's what God wants from me. And, and, and I don't want to minimize it. I'm going to hold that people should ask uh, sometimes a few opinions. These are all logical. That's called acting responsibly. If it's a serious matter, get, get, more, get, get more than one opinion. Do I have to go to the greatest expert of the expert? No. I have to do so. Yeah. So the world, God created the world of cause and effect. And he asked us to do certain things. And he told us, even you do, you do them, but it's not going to affect anything. Why did he curate it like You're that? You're not wording it correctly. So we can do no, some no. love? No. Or... God, God wants us to choose him. That's how we began today's class. Let's go together. God wants for me to choose him. Why? Because he wants us to show that we love him? Let's not go to the why right now on this question. God wants for me to choose him. It is a very fluffy word. How do I choose God? Doing what he asked not by saying God I love you that's one that's one mitzvah one part of it but that's 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 far and in between it's not enough I choose God by doing what God wants that's God, how you show that you love that's how I choose God that's yeah. how I choose that's not how you show that you choose life the Torah doesn't say love that, 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 I don't want to get into these semantics God wants me to choose him God wrote in the Torah how I choose him and I choose him by choosing to keep the mitzvahs Choosing to keep the mitzvahs. When I chose the mitzvah, I'm choosing God. I'm giving God something that he does not have in any other world. Not even from your neshama in Ganeva. Only here. Because only here, choosing means I could have chosen A, and I'm choosing God. I could tell God, I'm not going to choose you. I'm going to choose me. I want to eat this on Yom Kippur. You tell me not to eat it. Okay, who, who am I choosing, me or you? God would want from us to choose him. That gives God pleasure and nachas. Okay, words in the Torah. All that Rabbeinu Bahai is saying is that every, when it comes to all of these areas, as we'll see, there is a component of it that's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah for me to act responsibly in my livelihood, in my health, not hurting other people, etc., etc. So, in the context of me exercising, choosing God, I have to act responsibly. However, even after I make the right choice, which is choosing God, the effect of my choice was never given to me. It doesn't mean we can't pray for it. Of course, we can pray for it. But it's always in the hands of God. Let me tell you something even nicer. Even in the natural arena, like when you plant a seed in the ground, so the Talmud records that some sages would plant the seed in the ground and they would say, God, please make it grow. And these are people that knew that when you plant something in the ground, by the laws of nature, it's going to grow. But they understood that's God. It's God making it grow. Their choice was whether they're going to plant the seed in the ground or not. That was their choice. And by the way, there's no specific mitzvah to plant a seed in the ground. So it's not in the realm of mitzvahs. But but work going to work is a mitzvah. And that should be the mindset. So when I go to work and I do my part, I'm batuach in God, God will give me his livelihood. And I won't feel it's not like me. It's no me. I'm very humble. I fulfilled my obligation. 
And it could be that God chose not to give me parnasa today. He's going to write later, sometimes God is not giving you parnasa because you already have it. He writes that clearly. Sometimes we have that which we need. Sometimes we should pause and think, maybe we do. Which is a great thought. Stop getting something that you have already. You want to get more, sometimes more is less. It's not needed. Been about the um, how to print, like governing, affecting the outcome, or, or doing mitzvahs or tzedakah. So you're saying I'm saying that it's not. It don't don't think that my tzedakah affected the outcome. My tzedakah is appealing to God, and God can accept it or not accept it. Even though God told me that He He's going to reciprocate tzedakah, but it won't always be reciprocated exactly the way we would like it to happen. So there's an there's an element we should keep on doing it. I'm doing my part. Part of my part is going to work. Part of my part is davening. A big part of my part is having the feeling of calm, knowing that I'm in God's hand. That's part of my part. And God has a plan. I just want to add that God adds to the plan after I made my choices. Doesn't change his plan, but he has to, he, he develops the application of his plan after I made my choices because I really have freedom to choose. But he never allows my choices to be the sole determination of what will happen. God is the boss in the world. This is a very important, at least a Hasidic theology. The Rabbeinu Baha'i is clearly saying the same thing over here. Puts things in its right place. This whole idea of segula is not true. Well, if a segula is doing a mitzvah, that's great. And I want to tell you that Hasidim are not into segulot. Don't say it's not true. God. Even the mezuzah, even the mezuzah, has, who's protecting my house? God Almighty is protecting my house. Through the mezuzah. Shemirah. You have to make the keli. I have to make the keli. I have to put up a fence. I have to make a fence because I'm obligated to, to, to do actions that add to the safety. I'm obligated to do so. Will I be safe? That's up to God. Solely up to God. Mm-hmm. And I'm batuach that God, God is going to look out for me. He also wrote before that part of being batuach and God is doing my part. If I have that type of relationship in God that I feel calm, I would want for God to feel calm with me. That that which he gave to me, which is the choices, God should feel calm. God, I got you. I'll make the right choice for you. Choosing so freely, independently. We are independent beings that choose God. And it's God's world, because no matter what we choose, the outcome is always in the hands of God. That's the foundation of chapter number four. And with that, shalom, everybody. Have a wonderful day. May we merit to have greater bitachem, to live a life of more bitachem. Amen.